Hi folks, welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. Great to have you with us today. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again, and today we're going to dig deeper into a topic that's come up a few times in the podcast already, shared living and working spaces, which are becoming quite the big thing here in Japan, as they are in most places around the world these days. If you'll recall from our January episode in which we reviewed all of 2017's annual property market trends, statistics, um, yearly summaries, and so forth, shared office spaces, which used to be an alternative asset class, have made some huge steps forward to the point that they're actually been helping push commercial rents down in many of Tokyo's business districts and also are one of the main demand drivers in the office market these days. Shared living spaces, while not nearly as common as they are in other countries, are also becoming increasingly popular here. So let's unpack these two terms and see what they actually mean. First, shared living, or share houses as they're called here, as opposed to guest houses or short-term stay accommodation of various sorts, share houses are home to people on normal, um, almost standard leases, They usually sign up for a year or two at a time, some of them maybe six months at a time, so quite similar to normal tenants. And these share houses or shared apartments have existed in Japan for many years, slowly increasing in popularity since the 1990s when the last economic bubble burst here and many people fell into hard times. These days, though, they've changed quite a lot, so they're more of a trendy lifestyle choice for many people. In the past, they were actually known as gaijin houses, um, foreigner houses, because most of the people staying in them were actually foreigners, um, people that were either short on cash or without access to guarantors, uh, which the standard tenancy leases required. These days, though, more than half of the residents are actually Japanese. In the past, as well, the only Japanese who lived in these homes were the ones who wanted to study or practice their English skills, associate with foreigners for any other reason, These days, there are all sorts of homes, and they fall under the share house category in almost every big or medium-sized city in the country. They range from strictly Japanese-oriented share homes, which are accessible via specific Japanese web portals and share house service companies, which run these residences. There are other um, share houses that are actually um, themed guest houses to suit all tastes, Some of them um, orient around English, so they correspond more to the old gaijin house theme of the past. Some of them are focused around common interests. So you've got share houses with an artistic twist, share houses oriented around design, around music, pets, and even dating. Each of these will be decked out, furnished, and equipped as per the theme. So the music share house would obviously have a music room or two, instruments, recording equipment, and so forth. The art share house has a lot of creative and muse-inspiring rooms, art supplies that people can use, and so on and so forth. Now, the main advantages for tenants, aside from um, the obvious mingling opportunities, are cost and location. So if we take Tokyo, for example, a centrally located apartment for a single person or a couple would cost about the same as a private room in a share house on a monthly basis, But the move-in fees, which are notoriously high in Japan and often come up to several months of rent for normal properties, are far cheaper. There are also less securities, guarantees, or guarantors required, which makes it easier for younger people in their 20s and 30s 
who might be a bit wary of paying hundreds of thousands of yens, thousands of dollars every year or two when their life circumstances might change or they might be moving again for whatever reason. With the normal properties, they may also not be able to afford living where they really want or need to. So they'd have to compromise on long commutes, less than desirable suburbs, whereas share houses are conveniently located in super central locations and for the same monthly rent. This also suits the Japanese who have studied or lived abroad, and when they come back home, they find themselves a bit stranded at first while they're looking for a new job, usually have got no cash reserves left, and since those travelers have already most likely experienced co-living overseas, and often with foreigners too, these arrangements are really perfect for a lot of them. Another advantage is, if you'll recall from our deal analysis series, Japanese apartments are notoriously small, often with just enough room to place a futon, sleeping mat, some clothes in. Share houses, on the other hand, are usually larger homes. They've often got gardens, backyards, front yards, large entertainment areas, far better equipped kitchens. So for those who don't mind sharing these common areas with others, and hopefully like-minded people in the case of the themed share houses, they can enjoy a far more spacious home, and normally far beyond what they'd be able to afford if they were renting on their own. From our perspective as investors, these homes can generate far higher income than your standard tenancy arrangements. And as this co-living trend is becoming more popular, there are also plenty of property management companies that specialize in running these places. So they would operate these spaces on behalf of owners, which also makes investing in share houses a very viable option for landlords these days. Okay, so much for share houses. Now, how about shared offices? Well, as some of you may know, Japan is a bit behind the times as far as the global startup scene goes. However, the last decade or so has seen a massive disintegration of the unwritten lifelong employment contract that used to exist between Japanese companies and their employees. So if in the past your typical risk-averse Japanese uni graduate would automatically be seeking a large Japanese company to work for till the day they die kind of thing, things have changed drastically in the last decade. Companies have been struggling with lack of efficiency and competitiveness when compared with their foreign counterparts, and they're often forced to let long-time employees go. As a result of this trend, the Japanese have become more accustomed to job uncertainty, and this has resulted in a late-bloom startup sphere that, while not exactly taking the country by storm, is definitely take, taking shape here, slowly but surely. Um, Tokyo is obviously the top location for startups. We've also mentioned Fukuoka City here several times in the past already, which has a younger, more modern vibe to it, and is actually considered Japan's startup capital. These two cities are on almost directly opposite sides of the country, and most of Japan's startup companies do tend to flock to these two locations. Tokyo has huge international appeal, obviously, plenty of opportunities to connect with other business people from all walks of life. And Fukuoka, which provides a lower cost of living and business setup costs, also has advanced governance. So it's a natural choice as well for these small bootstrap type companies. And naturally, with the startup scene comes the shared office space scene as well. And Tokyo has quite a large number of co-working spaces, uh, hot desk, hot desk swap offices, while Fukuoka is becoming the international go-to as far as foreign entrepreneurs are concerned and also has better government support. So we've got special startup visas in Fukuoka for foreigners who want to try and set up a business in the city. 
This allows them to rent an office or an office space, register an address, open a local bank account, etc., and stay in Japan legally on a special business visa for up to six months before they have to show any actual proof of income. Fukuoka also offers a number of government programs providing mentorship, advice, and potential office locations for these companies. So there are now hundreds of co-working spaces all around the country with all sorts of styles, designs, sizes, locations, and also an increasing presence of angel investors, business incubators, and so forth, who are active in the Japanese startup market. From an investor's perspective, again, very viable asset class and similar to the sharehouse scene with more and more property management companies who specialize in running these places on behalf of the landlords as well. So definitely something worth look, looking into for the more creative and adventurous investors out there who want to capitalize on a trend that's becoming bigger every year and is still quite new in Japan. So not quite the untapped market, but very close to it. Okay, that's it from us today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Do leave us your questions or thoughts in the comments section of whichever platform you found this episode on. If you found this content interesting, there must be others in your circle who may as well, so please do share it with them. And as always, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us. Give us a rating either here on the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or wherever you might have found this podcast. We hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, as always, from all of us here at NTI, we'd like to wish you happy investing. <laughs>